The following sermon was preached at Tower View Baptist Church. We are a gospel-centered, relationship-driven church that exists to know, grow in, share, and serve Jesus Christ. We do all this for the glory of God. For more about us, please check out our website at www.towerviewkc.com. Got your name right this time, so thank you uh, for bringing that as always. Well, I invite your attention to uh, Mark chapter 10 this morning. Uh, Mark chapter 10, verses 13 through 16, and that's page 846 on the Pew Bible. Had to bring it up because I am getting older and I can't remember a page number when I walk 10 steps. So uh, uh, God is good, but I appreciate you turning that way. And also this morning, uh, just a reminder that uh, after church for leaders, we do have a budgetary meeting, but you pray for the budget for next year. It sounds so easy, uh, and sometimes it is, but oftentimes there's just a lot of a good discussion, and thank God, uh, thank you for giving so faithfully each, each and every week, and thank you for giving faithfully, not just only financially, church, but also through uh, your prayers and through your service and your witnessing and all that you do. Thank you so much. Uh, on December 9th, we will have a special budgetary vote after church to vote on the 2019 budget. So look forward to that as well. Well, uh, my kids were up very early this morning. Uh, you got an extra hour of sleep, right? So you're ready to stay an extra hour for church, right? So amen. Um, it, is, it is actually noon yesterday time, so you're ready to eat lunch already, but uh, hopefully you got some sleep. But but like many of you, as we go through this passage, you're going you're gonna to love the, the topic of children. That's, that's one of our side topics today. But like many of you, I grew up attending church nine months before my public arrival in the world. So 
uh, as I attended church week after week after week, and my mother and I, growing up with her being a preschool director at a church and all those things, one of the biggest songs that I learned, and we sang it today, was Jesus Loves Me, This I Know. How many of y'all sang that to your kids or your grandkids? Uh, It's a a famous song. It really is. Jesus loves me. This I know. For the Bible tells me so. Little ones to him belong. They are weak, but he is strong. Yes, Jesus loves me. The Bible tells me so. And it sounds like the passage, the author of this, was reflecting on the passage we're going to be looking at today from Mark chapter 10. And after three weeks of, of, of... of a topic on hell, on hell and divorce. Don't you praise God that we have a little bit of a break this morning? Amen. Uh, I kind of looked at this and thought, there, the Bible's always going to be in your face. You know, the Holy Spirit's always going to do the smackdown thing He does. But thank God, it's a little toned down this morning. But a second song I grew up loving, and I think you probably did too, was "Jesus Loves the Little Children." You remember that song? Jesus loves the little children, all the children of the world. Red and yellow, black and white, they are all precious in his sight. Jesus loves the little children of the world, and indeed he does. But it's sad and most unfortunate, isn't it, that most people do not love the little children of the world. In Jesus' day, as well as our own, children are viewed as a liability, as a hindrance to what can be productive and what can be contributed to society. Some treat them a little more as a commodity. I mean, come on, you've all joked that when we have kids, they're going to do all the mowing for us, all the laundry for us. Our kids are in a laundry stage right now. My wife jokes that they can put it in the washer, take it out, put it in the dryer, but they don't fold it. So we're not quite all the way there yet. But in many ways, children are our future of individuals, of trends, of nations. But the modern attitude towards children in the Western world is seen, ironically, through the lowest birth rates around the world. In fact, Western Europe are being outpaced by by other nations for the first time in recorded history. Even worse, gender-based abortions in Southeast Asia are responsible for the deaths of more than what we know of 100 million boys and girls in the last quarter century alone, not to include the 50 million or so that have been taken since Roe v. Wade in 1974. Attitudes and towards children in less dramatic ways are telling. Our country is full of people who, who right now, before this, this thing on Tuesday, which I'm not going to chase that rabbit, but this thing on Tuesday we're all going to do probably, they're working long hours and weekends for a better future for their children by making laws, but in effect they're neglecting their own at home by the hours that they keep. Isn't that ironic? But Psalm 78 verses 5 and 6 tells us this. It says, teach his word. Whose word? God's word to your children, so the next generation will know it, even the children yet to be born, and they will in turn tell their children. Isn't it awesome that if you had a mom or a dad who stood for the Word of God, that you are an example of that today? Even if your mom and dad were the worst example of what it meant to be a Christian, that through that negative example, God in His grace brought you to a place where, like a child, you received the kingdom of God. But on the other hand, especially in American cultures, children can be turned into idols to be pampered and coddled and placed at the center of a universe that they will gladly occupy. We call those helicopter parents, right? They, d- they, they go around and do those things. But the only way the Scripture has is a balanced view of children is to have a biblical view to see them as God sees them. God affirms that children are gifts to parents, although some days that doesn't seem like it, amen? But God is still good. God also says they provide an exquisite illustration of how we are to enter the kingdom of heaven, verses 14 and 15. 
So some questions this morning. Are we aware about how important children are? I mean, really, are we aware? Perhaps that's evident, but so often we need to be reminded of the obvious. And are we comfortable with being a child in God's eyes? Because the, the, the main passage of this, the main point of the scripture is not just about the children. The passage, adults, is really about us. and about us getting so unchildlike in our faith that we are not comfortable being a child in God's eyes. Because God, I got this. Just let me be. Are we comfortable with the picture of dependency that that puts on us? We just had Halloween. Uh, maybe you dressed up, maybe you didn't. Some of y'all, I don't, know, I don't know what you dressed up as. Maybe you said, I'm myself, and that's all right, too. But there are no superhero Christians. There are no superhero Christians. There are only those who are super dependent Christians with a childlike faith. The older we get, the more childlike our faith should become. I mean, Toys R Us just closed down, but, you know, I want, when I grow up, I want to be a Toys R Us kid. You know, that's, that's not what we're talking about. But we should have less childish theology, but our faith should be more childlike. Grace frees us to quit acting like we're independent spiritual adults and come with childlike faith to the wise care of our Father. And we biblical types who believe in big grace should be the most blown away, the most undone, the most childlike with our love for the Lord. But sometimes God has to knock out our knees, doesn't he? To make us see that it's only through childlike dependence that we are completely and utterly trusting in him. So three simple lessons today about being like children. Uh, and this isn't one of the main slides. Amy will see it up there. But before we get there, after we read, we're going to look at uh, just five brief things this passage does not talk about. But three lessons we'll look at today is that we should love children. Amen? We should. We should love the unborn. We should love the born. We should evangelize children. We should tell them about Christ. And then thirdly, especially for all of us here, we should receive the gospel like a child. And it's no doubt, if you look through, if you, you just grab your Bible quickly, as we go through, this is broken into five main sections. Last week, we, we looked at marriage and divorce, and that's a tough topic, and a lot of you had great questions. Uh, even after that, you've asked. Hope we did justice to that. It's a big topic in one sermon. You have children today. Next week, we're going to be looking at possessions. You get the rich man, the young rich ruler. We, in verses 32 to 30, 45, you have where Jesus once again predicts his death, and then his disciples are ready to blow people away with fire from heaven. That'll be exciting. And then lastly, you get down to faith. All simple building blocks of the Christian community, but all ones with our, which our Lord knew that unless these disciples got this down, they would be missing the greatest blessing of all. Would you join me in standing this morning, if you're able, as we read just four short verses this morning, Mark 10, 13 through 16. And as always, I'll be reading out of the uh, ESV, which is the same as the Pew Bibles. Hear the word of the Lord this morning. Very familiar passage, one you know well, but may God use it in our lives. It says, and they were bringing children to him, to who? To Jesus, that he might touch them. But the disciples rebuked them. But when Jesus saw it, he was, <laughs> he, was in, he was angry and said to them, Let the children come to me. Do not hinder them, for to such belongs the kingdom of God. And truly, or in your Bible it might say, Verily, verily, or amen, I say to you, Whoever does not receive the kingdom of God like a child shall not enter it. And he, verse 16, took them in his arms and blessed them laying his hands on them. I pray this study will help you value children as you should and help you see the way into the kingdom of God as you should. Because even as an adult, 
The greatest faith you can have is one like a child. Not uninformed, not so simplistic it can be run over in a theological argument, but one that when you look at Christ, you see only the God who provides, just like a child we were to look to an adult. We pray for this morning. Fathers, we come before you. I pray that we do see that our faith today is to be childlike. Father, we get so calculated. We get so uh, uh, planning and, and things. And, Lord, those, those certainly have their purpose. We know, Lord, that, that we shouldn't just run by the seat of our pants and we shouldn't just throw caution to the wind in, in a lot of ways biblically. But, Father, as Scripture often does, bringing these two sides together, Father, I pray that we do plan, but we do so with the faith of a child. We, we do share, but we do so with the expectation that as we share that you will draw people to yourself. As we give, we, we give knowing that you are able to do above and beyond and more than we could ever ask or think. But, Father, at the same time, help our trust not to be in routine, tradition, our history, our experience, our achievements, whatever it could be, but like a child. Just as we see things, Lord, may we be trusting in you with the most simplistic of faith, but also knowing that simplistic faith is something we will never know the depths of, because, Father, you are inexhaustible. But, Father, through all eternity, we will thank you that such a simple word was spoken to us by someone, most likely, probably, at a young age. We thank you for such opportunities. Lord, we pray these things, not as superheroes, but as super-dependent people on you. We ask this in Jesus' name, and God's people said, amen. And you may be seated. Thank you. Well, I want to give you, and I, I promise these will be brief and they'll come up one at a time, but I want to give you just quickly six things, five or six things that are not taught in this passage, because this is often a passage here before we get into the reminders of our faith about what is before us. First off, this passage does not teach us, and, and will never teach us in the Bible, that we are saved by being born to Christian parents. Now, wouldn't that be nice? I mean, can you imagine the birth rate among Christians? If you were a Christian and, and you had a child, that person automatically became a Christian. Bye-bye children's pastors, bye-bye VBSs, bye-bye Awanas, because if birth was all it took, boy, that would be awesome. Moms, you, you hate birthing pain. I know that for my own wife. But I, I know that you would go through that pain if it meant evangelization of the world. But your mommy's faith, your daddy's faith, is not what saves you. Jesus saves you. You are saved by faith in him alone. Not a church, not a faith of your parents or your grandparents. And there's nothing in this passage that says you are a Christian because your parents were. And if you're trusting in that, then I challenge you to examine what the Bible says about it. And this is a, the second one's a little bit tough, and I don't have time to unpack this, but, but generally speaking, all infants are saved. It doesn't necessarily teach that from this passage, but we do believe, and, I, and there are good debates on this, but we believe that those babies who die go to be with the Lord. Amen? That is hope for a family. There's debate on that about is it the elect or the not elect, but the issue is not age but attitude. It's a trust in God's goodness. And there are other verses that speak to this, but this passage isn't a good one to go to for this. We believe this to be true, but this is not a great passage to go to for this. And all my Presbyterian friends who listen to my sermons, and there are quite a few, will hate me for number three, but this passage does not teach that infants should be baptized. This is a dry passage. There's no wetness here. There might have been a wet diaper, but there's definitely not wet from baptism. Amen? Another verse used to support infant baptism, Acts 2.39, about the gospel going through generations and time and space. 
you, you can find passages about baptism, but, but you find passages about babies, but you can't find them ever together. I know I'm going to get reamed for that as soon as this post about 2 o'clock today, but so be it. Bring it on, Presbyterian friends. Here it is. We're Baptists. This is what we believe. Amen. Number four, and this may be a shock to you, but this passage does not necessarily teach, again, it's not the strongest one, but this passage alone does not teach that children should be baptized. Now, do we baptize children? Yes, we baptized several this year alone. But this passage is less about a three-year-old's qualification for baptism, and it's more about what a 30-year-old's attitude towards Christ should be. I hope you see that. We, we go to other passages where if someone professes faith and it's credible, then, then, then there we will talk with them about baptism. But this passage alone, we don't build that from. Now, this next one's really going to shock you. Number five, this passage alone doesn't say that we should have infant dedication ceremonies. Oh, uh-oh. Does that mean it's unbiblical to do so? Not necessarily. I'm not saying that. But from this passage that others have drawn from, let the children come to me, we don't see that at all. In fact, the, the word for child here can mean zero all the way up to 12, realistically. So we, we, we do that, but, but we don't believe that this passage alone teaches us. This next one's really going to get your goad. This passage does not necessarily teach that children should be, number six, church members. Oh, are you sure about that, Pastor? Well, Jesus blessing a child is not the same as a church of redeemed sinners giving testimony to a fellow sinner. The question is not whether you're, you're saved as a young person was legitimate. It's a question of church membership. We have in our bylaws that you cannot vote until you're age 16, but membership of children is a Baptist churches is a very recent development and is limited very much in the Midwest and the South, mainly among Southern Baptist culture. So those are the things not taught. I hope you see that. These are things not taught in the passage, and these are things that people preach on from this passage. So what does the passage teach on? Number one, it tells us that we should love children. We're, on, we're the Sunday morning crowd. We know this, don't we? But notice what happens here. It says in verse 13, And they were bringing children to him that he might touch them, and the disciples rebuked them. You know, Mark had just concluded his teaching on marriage and divorce, but it's now natural for him to go back to the children, because with marriage and divorce often come children. And what a surprising effect. The disciples did not see this as being a blessing. Jesus, I'm certain, loved them for who they were, and he loved them for who they could be, but his love for them was not based on them. But the disciples' love for children was based on what they brought to the table, these are kids. They're annoying. Get them out of here. We want time with Jesus, right? We want Jesus' time. And one would have a very difficult time in ancient literature seeing a concern for Jesus, uh, children, comparable to that shown by Jesus. It just didn't happen. Children were a liability. Don't touch me. Go do your chores. Get out of here. You have germs and snotty noses. Yuck. But they brought the children to Jesus. Who brought them? Mom, dad parents, maybe other siblings. Uh, they wanted the little ones to be touched by him. That was a very common thing in those days. The Jews brought children to be blessed all the time. They weren't coming to him saying, you're the Messiah, you're the Savior. They were just coming to receive a blessing. But in contrast, the disciples thought, what a waste of time. What a joke. We have more adult things to do. Come on, get out of here. And did you notice what Jesus did? The disciples, and we'll get more into this in the next verse, the disciples rebuked them, but look at verse 14. But when Jesus saw it, he was angry and sad, and he rebuked them. 
The same word here used for rebuke, both by the disciples and by Jesus, is the same rebuke that Jesus gave to evil spirits. Jesus is pretty angry at these guys. How dare you tell me who I can and cannot see? But as Jesus' political handlers, they sought to restrict access to those who they deemed necessary to see Jesus. They were missing the point of what happened last time. Do you remember the story we went through in Mark 9 with the exorcist and the man who was casting out demons? And and they said, hey, he's not one of us. And Jesus says, oh, yeah, he is. They still have not gotten that. They're in the way of what God is doing rather than being part of what God is doing. It's very clear that Jesus had to keep them close because they needed so much help. He's seeking to craft their hearts, change their hearts, so they're ready to do His work. And He's not just working to inform them so they would understand the doctrine of the kingdom or the teaching of the kingdom, but He wants them to think and desire and live in uniquely different ways than all the world will, and loving children is one of those ways. Many of you work in the school districts or are a part of that in your, in your, in your vocation before retirement. And you know how often you see parents who just simply, they don't care about their kids. They're just there to get them out to 18 and send them on their way. It's very rare for people to love kids as they ought to. And yet Christ would touch them. Maybe these were needy children. Maybe they were crippled, but their parents wanted to bring them to Christ. But I want you to think about this. I want you to think about what's happening here. The problem with the disciples is not their view of children, The problem with the disciples is the view of themselves. Do you see that? Because if the disciples understand what Jesus had been teaching them, they are no more deserving of the acceptance of Christ than these little children are. There's a superiority complex going on. They are saying that they are just as, they are better and deserving more of love than these children. But the disciples are much more like these children than unlike them. The disciples get it wrong. They don't see themselves as needy or unworthy. They don't see themselves as needing the extra help that they need from the Savior. They were the disciples of Christ, not because they earned it, not because they had something special in them, not because God looked down the corridor of time and said, boy, you're going to be really ripe for me, but solely by the grace of Christ. That's why God chose them. Listen, no one gives grace better than a person who's deeply persuaded about it, right? You, you give grace as you have received grace. But the problem with the disciples is not that they misunderstood Christ's view of children. The problem is they didn't know who they were. They didn't know. They thought they deserved it. They thought they deserved time with Jesus. They thought it was too easy to look down upon and condemn. But with respect to the love of Jesus, these disciples had little position and few rights. And our culture, if we're honest, see children as a real obstacle to real life, don't they? Well, we got to have kids because that's what the American dream's all about, right? If you don't have 2.75 kids and a two-car garage and a Suburban or a Subaru or, 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 a, or, a, or a minivan, then, man, life is just not complete. But society values people for what they can do or what they produce. And those who take care of children are making an important statement about everything being made in God's image. And this will be up on the screen, but Christianity is not just for the powerful or the learned, but for the powerless and the unknowledgeable. Amen? And that's the question. Are you like those who want to love children, 
Or are you like the disciples who have no time for babysitting because we got adult things to do? And that's true. But would you consider church members working back in the nursery? Some of you have given years, decades back there. Will you work with the preschoolers? Will you work with Awana or VBS or school-age children? Will you even go further? And, and I'll admit, I'm not sure completely how to do this. I, I, there's more trained people, but will you stand up against sex trafficking? Will you stand up against exploitation of little kids? Will we all stand up against abortion that, you know, we fought so well in World War II against the genocide of the Jews and the gypsies and all those things that were not of the, the master race so-called, but yet every day in our country thousands of girls and boys are aborted out, given away to death. Christian family, don't see your children as an obstacle to evangelism or the gospel. Your family is the first sphere of influence. And as a good brother pointed out this week, there's great talk about the, the family being the little church for us, and it should be. But friends, this is the local church. This is where the ministry happens. And so Jesus loves the children, and if we're follow his followers, we should too, in the home, wherever we are. And I'll admit, I'm the biggest doofus of that. Uh, I'm the chief doofus of doing that well as a father and as a husband. But praise God for grace and a loving wife and others who, who help us see the way because we need to love children as we should. Secondly, you notice that we learn from here that we should evangelize children. We should evangelize children. And, and this was not the case in the ancient world. Again, children were seen as a necessity to be endured. Change a diaper, feed them, bathe them, deal with the temper tantrums, all the above. But Jesus rebukes them. Has Jesus ever rebuked you before? Do you ever think about that? Have you ever had such a great idea in your mind and you think, wow, Jesus, if you just sign the dotted line, this whole world's going to come to you. And he's like, I don't need your help, man. Get out of the way. That's exactly what's happening here. Jesus tells them in verse 14, if you look back at your text, he tells them, he says, let the children come to me. Don't hinder them. For to such belong the kingdom of God. He was angry at the disciples. Can God still be angry at Christians even though they're saved by faith in Christ? Yes. Not for salvation, but in discipline. I praise God that Hebrews 12 says that God sends us out like a, like a, a dog on a leash. And, and he lets us go out a little bit. But at some point, he's going to rein in that for his glory. That's evidence that you know Jesus, that God pulls back that chain so that you would show forth fruit of salvation. But he rebukes them here. And, and he rebukes them so much that you can just see the red on their face, can't you? I mean, here they are thinking, man, we're Jesus' secret service. We're his bodyguards. We're the office managers. But he's essentially grieving the disciples' spiritual stupidity. He's just used a little child as an example. Remember, if you go back to Mark chapter 9, do you remember this? Go back to Mark chapter 9 really fast. The last part of Mark 9, I want you to remember this. He goes and uh, he, he, he says in verse uh, uh, 36, he says, Mark 9, 36, and he took a what? A child and put him in the midst of them. Probably one of Peter's kids because they were probably in Peter's house, if you remember that. So they just can't shake these children. They're everywhere and they're in everything, and they're causing all sorts of trouble for these disciples. Why can't we just do our adult thing? And they're still not getting it. They don't get the fact the kingdom operates by a whole set of rules. He's angry because the pride that's in the heart of these disciples. He's angry at these things. 
And any moment that I or you or we as a church look down on any class of human being, any moment I think I'm more deserving of God's love than somebody else, God's acceptance than anybody else, anytime I don't want to be near them or around them, anytime I get in the way of their movement towards Christ, it's not just who I've misunderstood who they are. Again, I've misunderstood who I am. The grace, the cross of Jesus, the kingdom of Jesus levels the playing field. I did not plan it this way, but if you were in Sunday school this morning, isn't this just what we went over for the last hour and a half? James chapter 2, show no partiality. When a rich man comes in with a, I don't have a gold ring. I have a cool thing from K Jewelers, and it's awesome, and I'll wear it for the rest of my life. But if they come in with a gold ring and fine clothing and all these things, don't show them any more favor than you would the shabby guy. Our class went there, so I'm going to go there. Even if a politician were to walk in and say, hey, I'm so-and-so, vote for me on Tuesday, don't show them any more favor than you would the next person who sits on a pew right next to you. You know why? Because we are not to show any partiality to anybody. We're all alike. We're all undeserving of his favor. We all have no power like little children, no position like little children, few rights and yet you see this as you turn back to Mark 10, that this moment is initiated by bringing children to Jesus. He says, let the children come to me. Don't hinder them. Truly I say to you, whoever does not receive the kingdom of God like a child shall not enter it. I am called to have an attitude like a child. Not those children that have disobedient attitudes. Amen? That is not the type we're talking about. I'm called to understand that the kingdom is always only ever a gift. I'm incapable of earning it. I'm incapable of deserving it. I'm incapable of inheriting it. It's always a gift, a gift, a gift. That is why if you are here and you don't know Jesus, there's nothing you can do to get to heaven except through Jesus Christ. That is it. If you're watching online, there's nothing you can do to get to heaven except through Jesus Christ. It, isn't it interesting and sad that once you and I have been accepted by this unearned, undeserving grace, it's easy for us to take our acceptance as a reason to look down on and condemn other people. Now, let me be very clear. We are to stand firmly on biblical doctrine. Amen? There is a dividing line in the sand. Jesus is the only way to heaven. There is condemnation and, and, and all those things we've looked at in previous weeks for those who deny Christ. But how could it be possible that we who make the most gorgeous message of undeserved love, the most beautiful story of grace, and turn it into an occasion for pride. But we do it all the time. Maybe that's as simple as a parent as you, as you want to believe that you're different than your children. Maybe that's in a moment where you say, I can't believe you would do such a thing. How, how could you do this? Of course you can, because you're a sinner, parent. Why would you not be surprised they would do it as much as you would do it? And those who brought Children to Jesus were participating in a form of worship, and the disciples hated it because they did not want them to get in on the secret of Jesus. So I wrote these next several things Amy's going to put up about leading your kids to Jesus, and I admit this is a work in progress for me and our family. I don't have all this down. I don't try to say, hey, do these things, and your kids come to Jesus. But I think biblically, these next seven or eight things that I'll put up quickly on the screen are things that if you're a grandparent or a, a parent or, 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 or a step-parent, whatever you are, aunt, uncle even, that how do you lead them to Jesus? Let me give you some practical tips, and I pray these are true in our home as well as wherever you may be. First, you need to evangelize them at home. This goes without saying. 
Uh, I had a parent at a previous church, and, and they, they were just there for a little time, say, well, I'm paying you to teach my children about God. It's not the case. Deuteronomy 6 puts the emphasis on the parents leading kids to Christ. Now, as a church, it's a, it's a village. It takes a village, right? We all need to be sharing Christ with our kids, but especially in the home, with a gospel-saturated home. We need to disciple them with a Bible-saturated home as well. Disciple them with the Bible. Where do you start? Pick a verse and go at it, man. I don't, might stay away from Leviticus for a little bit, but, you know, start somewhere. Just start reading with them. Well, what if they're too young to understand? Oh, they understand more than you know. Seth is 1.87 years. He's almost that's two years. It's hard to believe that zip by. And yet he understands more than I think some of our kids did in, at age three because he just gets it. Read it to him. You never know what God will use. You pray with them in a prayer-saturated home. We pray a lot. We pray for the Bible. We pray for donkeys and elephants. We pray for all sorts of things at home. Amen? But God is good. You pray with them. Fourth, you encourage them to live always for God's glory and pleasure. You encourage them to live for not the world, not their desires, not their American dream. You encourage them to live for God's glory and pleasure. And, and, and as you evangelize them, as you disciple them, as you pray for them, that should be a natural route for that conversation to come up. Number five, you bless them. <laughs> Oh, boy, this is hard sometimes. Oh, boy, this is hard. But you bless them. I admit I fail in this area quite often. You leave the harder words behind, and you bless them for the good things that God has taught them, good things that you are there. Bless them with the words about God. You know, I saw you do that. That's so good. Thank God. God wants us to be kind to one another. Thank you for showing that example. You model for them a Christ-centered life. You model for them a Christ-centered life. You're a sinner, parent, grandparent, aunt, uncle. You know what? And there's that old thought that, if, especially at work, I used to have this thought, maybe you do today, that if they see me mess up, then maybe they're never going to become a Christian then. Well, you know what? You mess up all the time, and God still loves you, right? Model it for them, even in your asking forgiveness in front of them. Again, uh, God hits your heart with such things. Challenge them, and challenge them to attempt and believe great things for God. Challenge them to believe great things about God. You, you know, hey, you can conquer the world, not for your name, but for Christ's name. And parents, be okay letting them go out to the foreign mission field if that's what God wants them to do. You have no ownership over their life. You are just a steward of them. If God calls them to the mission field, often the greatest hindrances of people being missionaries are the very people who grew up and are closest to those who want to go. Happened to Jesus, didn't it? His family looked at him and said, you're nuts. You're crazy. Go in a loony bin. Go off that hill over there. You remember this in Mark 4 and 5? You remember going over this? And yet James, back to James, the very brother, the half-brother of Jesus wrote later that he was a slave of Christ. Went from going crazy about Jesus to loving him as he was. And lastly, give them over to God and his will. I think there might be one more. Actually, there is one more. But give them over to God. Remember Hannah? Remember Hannah who prayed for a child all those years? And what did she do with her little child? And I'm not saying you should do this, but in that day, she gave him off to the prophet Samuel and said, here, go, take him, he's yours. And Samuel is one of the greatest prophets the Old Testament the world has ever known. Parents, we love our kids, and we should, but ultimately, they are in God's will and not ours. And finally, and again, pricking of the heart this week in the study, but realize this is a huge time commitment. 
Parents, grandparents, this may mean you need to slay dreams of your youth that are carrying on to your adulthood for the sake of raising children to know more about Jesus Christ. It's a huge time commitment. We need to evangelize them, to share the gospel with them, and that takes time. Finally, and I'll close with this, and I promise, not only should we love them, evangelize them, but we should receive the gospel like a child. Receive the gospel like a child. How do you enter the kingdom of God? You enter it like a child. That's why, and I've preached against this, I, I, I went to college with professors who knew more about the Bible than you and I will ever know in a lifetime, who can think in Greek, speak in Greek, uh, you know, sleep in Hebrew, talk in Aramaic, do all these things, but their head was so full of facts, they had no faith in Jesus Christ. Because simply telling them, believe on Jesus, they would say, oh, well, did you know that word means this? And all Jesus says is receive faith like a child. Believe the child. Well, I want to ask you something this morning as your pastor. Who do you tell yourself that you are? You see, there's an incredible contrast here, and I don't want you to miss it, between the shocking love of Jesus and the lack of shocking love, again, of the disciples. I mean, think about this. If there was ever anyone who lived on the earth who had the right to be selective about his company, it was Jesus. He's God, after all. There's anyone who had a right to say, no, this person's beneath me. It was Jesus. But his heart was gorgeously accepting with his redeeming love. And there was no one who was too low to receive his acceptance. Contrast that with the disciples who were convinced that there were people beneath them. That if they went with Jesus, then no one else mattered because we got Jesus and you don't. Receive it like a child. Look back at verse 15. You know these words so well. But look back at verse 15. Truly I say to you, whoever does not receive the kingdom of God like a child shall not enter it. Receive is a gift. You must admit who you are. Adult, you must admit your inability. You can't solve every problem. You must admit your weakness in order to be recipients of His grace. You and I, if you're a Christian today, have been chosen by God to be His children. We call that election. Not what we're doing on Tuesday, right? <laughs> Different type of election. <laughs> For sure. God has chosen those who will be His from eternity past based on nothing foreseen within them. Baptists on both sides of the aisle believe this. But you have been chosen to be His child. Never to think that you've come to the place you've outgrown your Father's care. Never to desire to grow up and be on your own as a Christian. Never to be comfortable with being needy. Never to be comfortable with weakness or to be comfortable in your Father's care outside of the fact that you know without those things you have nothing. Our drive for self-will is what keeps us in the greatest blessings that God has in our lives. Christ took the children in His hands, and I've hinted at this before, but it's a radical action in the culture that He did. He's announcing that His kingdom is a radical new agenda. He's not living by the old rules anymore, because before God, everybody's alike. That Bill Gates, is he still the richest man I don't know anymore? Bill Gates or whoever it is that like sleep on $100 bills in their bed and their, their toothbrush is made out of coins and all, you know, I'm dreaming here, but you, you, know the, you know what I'm saying. But everyone is unworthy. Everyone is alike. Revelation 20, 11 through 15, when, when, when John saw the, the end of days, he saw the rich, the poor, the, the low, the high, that, that all stood before the judgment seat of God. So who receives the kingdom? The kingdom is not something you and I can bring about. It's something Jesus has accomplished. He's already done it. 
So what does it mean to be like a child? It means to be inquisitive. Lord, I don't understand. I don't understand what you're doing in my life right now, but I trust you. It means to be spontaneous. We're Baptists. We don't do that well. But it means to be spontaneous. You know, Lord, I have this schedule planned, but there's this person at my door. They're really weird. They got a name badge on. Their name is Elder so-and-so. I don't have time for this. But, Lord, if you want me to, I'll talk to him about you. It means to be impulsive. Whoa. That's really not a Baptist word, impulsive. We've got to plan it for five years before it can happen. It means that, that you go in, and there may be a time where God tells you to boldly speak his name in a way, in a form, in a shape, in a people group you've never done before because he's calling you to. And there's also innocence that you receive the kingdom of God like a child. Lord, I'm nothing. I have nothing to bring to the table. But you have brought everything to the table through Jesus. Lord, would you just show me what to do in this instance? I just want your will to be done. Not my plans, but your plans. As Amy will put up on the screen, in spite of all the ways we should be like immature children, should not be like immature children, be sure there is an identifiable childlikeness in welcoming Christ's rule over you. Friends, we serve the King of kings and the Lord of lords. We serve the God. We should be the happiest people ever. Look, no matter what happens on Tuesday, whether your candidate wins or loses or, or, or uh, Big Bird gets in there, whatever, right? Whatever happens, God is in control. That's not a cliche. That's not just a pastoral thing like, really, God's in control. No matter if we elect the most electable people from our point of view, whatever that is, and, and we deny those, whatever that is against that, it doesn't change a thing. It might change something in the land for a while, but in eternity, God is in control. I don't know who was in office in Missouri 100 years ago. I really don't care. But one thing I do care about is the unimpeachable king is on his throne. And like a child, we trust him. And like a child, we come before him and say, Lord, whatever is before us as a church, as a nation, as a family, as an individual, I trust you. You are enough. Let the little children come to me. Do you trust Jesus like that? Do you trust God like a little child? If you don't, there is no way for you to enter the kingdom. Even as Christ taught his disciples here, he no doubt is stealing himself at the moment for the childlike faith as he goes on the cross later on, and we'll get there next year about this time in September, October 2019, amen, right? We will be there. But like a child, in a sense, with faith like a child, Jesus is going to say um, in that garden, he's going to say, not my will, Lord, but your will be done. Lord, not my plans, but your plans. And, and the plan has always been the same, folks. Jesus never doubted. He's fully God. The plan has always been for him to go to the cross. But if we are to enter the kingdom, we must have that childlike faith. Not childish faith, childlike faith. Friend, I pray, Christian, that you know your faith better than anybody else. You know it backwards, you know it forwards. You know how to debate it, you know how to defend it, you know how to not apologize. We don't need to apologize for, for, for our faith unless we're just doofuses, and that's a whole other thing. We don't need to apologize for who Jesus is. We speak his words boldly, but we handle our faith to God like a child, not like a slave driver. God is not our heavenly slot machine. God's not our heavenly bellhop. God is the Lord of lords, holy, holy, holy. And he says, come to me, all who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Church, we have some decisions to make in the coming days about a budget. Not in a bad way. We just got to have some talks. We have things coming up about bylaws, about things that affect our church's future. 
And there will be differing opinions on those things, to be sure. There's, there's 100 Baptists in a room. There's 500 opinions. Some of you are still thinking about the math of that. Don't think about it. Just trust it, all right? We have lots of things coming ahead. But one thing I can tell you is for sure, as long as we are dependent on Christ and not our motives, our plans, our scheming, or whatever it is, we will be okay. We will be okay. Because God has said, trust me, and everything will work out just fine. Let's pray as we close out today.